We lost another baby. My daughter has been diagnosed with cancer. My best friend with two children just told me she has MS. My father was hit by a car. We don't know if he's going to make it. My mother passed away this week from COVID. My marriage is failing. I just found out that my spouse has been cheating on me. My daughter got close to ending her life this week. These are actual things that people have said to me in ministry. One pastor said, suffering, pain is never abstract, theoretical, or impersonal. Suffering is real, tangible, personal, and specific. The Bible never presents pain, he goes on, as an idea or a concept, but he puts it before us in the blood and guts drama of real human experiences. Scripture never looks down on the sufferer. It never mocks our pain. It never turns a deaf ear to our our cries or condemns our struggle. It presents to us a God who understands, who cares, and who speaks to our pain. And so I want to go on a journey for the next few weeks. We're going to take a break from Galatians. We're going to come back to it after Easter. But I hope to paint over the next few weeks an honest, biblical, and hopeful view of pain and suffering. And and I don't want to use hollow platitudes. I don't want to use social media-inspired sentiments. I want to look at how God's Word addresses us when we hurt. And you will hurt at some time. You will suffer at some time. It's inevitable. It's part of the human experience. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. If you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible back there for you. That is your Bible. You can take home. It's not stealing. It's a gift. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth because false teachers have charmed some Corinthians with boasts of like thrilling, supernatural and spiritual experiences and mystical visions. People often do this, you know, God showed me this, revealed this to me. It was crazy spiritual. It was mystical. So I'm somebody you should listen to. This is what Paul's opponents were doing and claiming. And Paul knows that this type of boasting is foolish. It doesn't benefit the church. You can't prove it happened. And it always leads to pride. It always leads to pride when you boast of such things. And so in that context, Paul says this in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I'm, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which, may, which man may not utter. And so we're, again, we're kind of prepping up to what Paul is talking about with suffering, but Paul, knowing that such boasting is stupid, he, he hesitantly recounts, a story about himself in the second person. And so Paul's saying, this man, this man, Paul is actually referring to himself here. You kind of see in a second, 
but he's doing this and he's recounting this in second person to show that, man, I, I could brag about such things. I could boast in such supernatural experiences. He says, 14 years ago, I, this man, was caught up in the third heaven. And, and we kind of think, well, the third heaven, is this like levels of heaven? Like when we die, well, like I get a mansion and you get, you know, a shack, but we'll all be happy because uh, it's heaven. No, it's the idea, you know, the, uh, there is three heavens. There are many Jewish people thought of three heavens. One is like where the birds are. That's, you know, the first heaven where birdies fly. The second heaven is where the moon and the stars and all those things are at. And then the third heaven would be what we typically think about when we think of heaven, paradise, where God dwells, where there's blessing. And Paul says, I went there. Whether I physically went there or not, I don't know. But, but God did something mystical, something supernatural, something spiritual in my life. And I went there and I heard things that, that no human words could fully explain what happened. I can maybe talk around it, but I can't give a full account because it's too hard to imagine. It's too hard to, to explain. And so he says this in five. On behalf of this man, verse five, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. He says, I could boast about such things. It'd be the truth. That really did happen, but, but I don't because I want people to judge me by my actual faithfulness, by what they see and they hear, what they can judge in my life, not some supernatural experience that impresses them. And so here we kind of get to our passage, he says. But if I boast... If I'm going to be braggadocious, if I'm going to boast, it's going to be in my weaknesses. It's going to be in my pain and in my suffering and what God does through those things. Look at verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. This is how we know that was Paul talking about himself. A thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul was given a thorn. He was allowed to suffer. We don't know what exactly Paul is referring to here. Some say it was a physical condition like malaria or some sort of uh, intestinal disorder uh, some say it was mental, mental anguish over persecution that maybe he had to go through a persecution of the church. Some say this thorn could be uh, the opponents of Paul that continually dog him uh, wherever he goes. We, we don't really know what sort of thorn Paul was experiencing. And I think that's probably for the best. And, and that may be God sovereignly working there and writing scripture because we can all see ourselves in this passage. We've all had to kind of experience a thorn at some point or another. And so that's maybe God just keeping this passage open for us to kind of understand it so that we can see ourselves in it. But here's what we do know. We do know that it was painful and that it was annoying. That's, that's what a thorn is. Usually a thorn is painful. Usually a thorn is annoying. Paul talks about, I beg three times 
for God to end this suffering in my life. How many of you have begged God when you're, you're in a trial, you're suffering, you're experiencing pain to stop whatever is happening? Just stop. Just get me out of this. I don't want to feel this anymore. We know that this thorn, in, in Paul's mind, possibly could have interfered with his ministry. I mean, Satan comes in and doesn't give Paul this thorn, doesn't attack Paul just because he wants Paul to have a bad day, right? Like Satan doesn't come in and just want to take your parking spot so that you'll be grumpy. I mean, he wants to give thorns that distract us from ministry, that prevent the gospel from advancing. And we also know that this thorn came with a purpose. God gifted this thorn to Paul. He sovereignly and permissively allowed Satan to work, much like he did with Job. Way back in Genesis, or way back in the Old Testament, he allowed Satan to work so that God might use that pain for Paul's benefit. You see, Paul had many spectacular supernatural experiences in his life. I mean, God miraculously worked many. I mean, God revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus road. Paul talks about at one point being caught up in heaven. He, he, Paul, God saves Paul miraculously time and time again. If you want to know more, read, read it earlier in, in 2 Corinthians 11. He talks all about all these bad things that have happened, how God, is, and how God has saved him through all of those things. I mean, Paul was a man who could brag about those things. Paul planted churches. Paul uh, discipled probably thousands and thousands of people. Greater or, or lesser men have, have boasted in greater ways than, than Paul could have. And so Paul says, this thorn came so that I would be humbled. All these great things have happened to me, all these spiritual revelations, all these miracles. I could get a big head. Lesser men have bragged about such things. But, but this thorn came to, to humble me. It came to keep me from being conceited. God allowed Paul to suffer so that Paul would not trust in himself, but, but God alone. God wants you. God wants your heart. He wants your love. And God wants you to trust him in faith for everything. One pastor said, pain teaches us to exchange self-reliance for prayerful dependence. And some of us kind of walk through life thinking we got it until a storm hits. And then normally what happens to each and every one of us, either we get very angry or we get on our knees. <laughs> And we become very dependent on God. Another said, problems have a way of weaning us off ourselves. I love that. Problems have a way of weaning us off ourselves. God wants you to rely on him in ministry and in life. And the way that God often turns our eyes to him is through pain and suffering. So here's the first part of our big idea. God uses pain to purify, to mature, and to grow your faith. 
Some of you may be like, why is this happening to me? And I don't claim to always know the answer to that, but I can say at least sometimes what is happening to you, you know, what, what God may be doing. He may be wanting to grow your faith in a way that wouldn't be grown if you wouldn't be going through this trial. He wants to give you a, a deeper faith, a richer faith. And that's why he's allowing this to, to happen. Years ago, and, and, and I've shared this story uh, two other times, I think, since I've uh, been a pastor here in Castle Rock. And so just bear with me. It's just part of my story. But, but suffering and, and pain um, is something that I've, I've had to develop a theology on because I've been there, man. Uh, a few you know, years and years ago, I, I remember thinking, man, I'm really good at this ministry stuff. <laughs> I really like, had that thought like, you know, I've never really struggled with anything major. You know, I know other guys who do stupid stuff, but I don't really do that. And, uh, and, and you know, ministries I touch, they tend to grow. Like I was involved in Young Life and it grew. I was involved in a youth ministry and it exploded from like 30 kids to almost 200 kids. And I just remember thinking, man, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm good at this. I've got the skills and abilities to do this. I mean, people tell me I'm good at it. They tell me I have a bright future. And I get to seminary and, you know, my grade point average was a 3.87. It was a 3.9 almost in seminary. And you have to try really hard to do that. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm also smart. <laughs> man, you, I'm, I'm the whole package, right, Megan? Uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember thinking, like, I got nominated with a few others for the, the Preacher of the Year Award, the Senior Preacher. Pfft. I remember thinking, man, a church is going to be lucky to have me. I, I really have these sort of thoughts. God has blessed me. I'm going to do big things. Now, underneath that, at the same time, I had some legalistic tendencies. And so when we preach through Galatians, all that's very real to me. I had a, a thought process kind of underneath that swagger that said, man, if I mess up, God is really going to be against me. And so I had this weird kind of duality in my life, this, this swagger, yet I was very self-conscious of my sin and, and, and very uh, weary if I messed up and very prone to, to guilt. And uh, so as I'm working my way through ministry in school, this, this, that mental pattern was really starting to take hold. Like, for example, you'd be like, well, what, what did that look like in seminary? So in seminary, I would agonize over things like reading reports. And so reading reports are you'd be given like, you know, 600 pages to read. And they'd say, what percentage at the end of the semester, what percentage of that book did you read? And I hated those. Because I would read a book and I would kind of go, I'd go, well, did I, I'd read a page and I'd say, did I really read that? You know, I looked at all the words. <laughs> I skimmed it. I got the big idea, did I really read it? And I'd read it again. Well, did I really read it that time? And I'd read it again. And, and I kind of gutted it out until the end of seminary, this weird duality of self-confidence and moralistic legalism set the stage for something ugly. On my last day of school, our newborn daughter, Ruby, was, was on my knee. We were at the dinner table, uh, and, and something snapped in my head. And, and I all of a sudden had this feeling that, man, I'd done something wrong. I cheated some way, somehow. I didn't know how, but I'd messed up. I'd taken a shortcut. 
I had, I had cheated the system. And so I started to, I immediately went downstairs and I was like a madman. I opened up all my files, all my, my folders. I went through all my assignments. You know, did I really read that? Did I cite these things properly? Did I work with others when I wasn't supposed to? And ultimately you're like, that sounds crazy. That is how I felt. I felt nuts. <laughs> I felt like I was gonna be uh, uh, put in an institution and have my family taken away from me. And I kind of spiraled into this hole of anxiety and I'd confess to professors and they would tell me, no, 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 you're okay. But that wouldn't bring any sort of relief. And for about a month, for about four to five weeks, I had multiple panic attacks a day. Like physiological panic attacks a day where I, where I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, all I could do was shake. And I was a broken puddle of a man and my wife was just looking at me like, what in the world is going on? And that was the darkest valley I have ever walked through. I wanted my life to end. Now I wasn't close to taking it, but I could understand, man, if somebody didn't have the hope of the gospel, I could see how they could take that step. Now, you may think that sounds crazy and weird, but for me, I've never been in a worse place mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I begged, and I begged, and I begged for God to take it away. Just stop it. Stop it. God, please stop. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he didn't. <laughs> He didn't take it away. I struggled with it for months. And it got better through counseling and, and through uh, working and a lot of hard work. But it is still something to this day that can pop up in my life if I'm not taking care of myself, emotionally, mentally, physically. And so it's thorn that God has given me. And I often look at other people and I'm like, I wish I was like you. You don't have to jack with this sort of stuff. I, I wish I was like, like, like you. you. You seem like you have it all together. But I really believe, I want you to hear me on this. I really believe God allowed this to happen. He gave me this thorn to humble me and mature my faith as a pastor and as a person. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I would not be in ministry. I would have quit a long time ago or I would have done something stupid if I had not learned to trust God in a way that I've never done before. He used pain to purify my faith. Was it fun? No. Would I ever wish that upon anybody else? Absolutely not. But has God worked through that to, to grow my faith? Yes. Look at verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. If you underline anything, underline that. My grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't remove Paul's thorn. He gives him the grace to deal with it. I often hear this sentiment. God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. And that seems, 
That sounds very nice and very, you know, empowering, but it's not true. God will give you more than you can handle. God, hear me. God will give you more than you can handle on your own. He will break you. (laughs) He will allow things to happen in your life that will bring you to your knees. But he promises to give us the grace to endure to push forward, to take another step and to live the life he has called us to live and to do the ministry he's called us to do in our families, at church, in the world. He gives us the grace to get up out of bed and take another step. Even though it's hard, he empowers us. He'll give us more than we can handle, but not more than he can handle. (laughs) And, and so a thorn need not stop you. A thorn need not stop you. A trial need not stop you. In fact, he works best when we have thorns. That's when he works. Look at the rest of verse nine. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is perfected in those who are frail, those who are destitute, those who are hurting. You know, if you're like, man, I want God to use me powerfully. I want to be a vessel for God's work. Prepare to get beat up then. It's just how God works. Prepare to get knocked around a little bit. Prepare to get your feet undercut out from under you. God uses pain to purify our faith and perfect his power. God uses pain to purify our faith and perfect his power. Now, the words made perfect here. You know, so my power will be made perfect. It has this idea that God's power will find its full intended scope and strength and human weakness. One author said that the greater the Christian's acknowledged weakness, i.e. the acknowledgement of one's creatureliness and of one's importance to render effective service, I'm sorry, their acknowledgement of one's creatureliness and of one's impotence to render effective service to Christ without his empowering. It's the more evident than Christ's enabling strength. So if Paul's going to boast, he's going to be braggadocious. It's not going to be in some supernatural spiritual experience. Look at the rest of verse 9. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul didn't love pain. I'm not saying you should go look for pain. But he was content with whatever crown of thorns that that God had placed on him. Didn't matter if it was a trial, didn't matter if you're being persecuted, didn't matter if it was sickness or hardship, some sort of, you know, natural calamity. It was an opportunity for God to showcase his power through Paul. God's best work through you will not happen when you're prideful and arrogant. God's word, or God's best work through you will happen when you're fully dependent on him. 
And pain and suffering is often the way he gets us to be fully dependent on him. I, I've, I've learned this firsthand. And guys, I, enough about you, Larry. One more thing about me. Just because, this, again, I've, I've had to filter so much of my life through this passage. I mean, there, there have been times where I've, I've preached up here struggling or, or weak because of some sort of trial. You know, last, last fall, it was Megan's father in the hospital. That just caused a lot of anxiety. It's you know, conflict with friends, whether it be us or friends who care about each other, conflict in the church. I've gotten up here and I've just been like, I, I got nothing. Harsh words from another person to really get me from a place of pride. It doesn't take long to get me to a place of humility. And there are times where I've, I've gotten up here and I'm like, I'm, I'm a pastor, lead pastor at a church now, yet I do not feel like preaching. <laughs> it's the last thing I want to do right now because I feel weak. And so I pray. I pray, God, just don't let me cuss today. Uh, and I, I pray, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm weak. I need you to... I need you to work through me. I really have nothing good to give. And it's crazy because those are generally the weeks where somebody comes up from, from, from the church and says, man, God really spoke to me through you today. I needed to hear what you had to say. Man, you were, you were just a conduit. You were a vessel of truth. And that, that pierced my heart. I needed to be encouraged that way. And here's the funny part. There are other times where I'm like, I killed it. I did so good. You know, I kind of bask in my, my wit and, and my, my biblical acumen and understanding. And I'm like, man, that was, I brought so much to that passage. And I get done and people are like, mm, okay. I mean, God works best when, when we're weak. I read this week, it's when believers are out of answers, confidence, and strength with nowhere else to turn to but God that we're in a position to be most effective. So if you're hurting right now, if you have a thorn, if you're suffering, you're in a prime position for God to do something great. You're actually in a better position than if you were confident and full of swagger. And so God's not done with you in your pain. He's not done working through you when you're weak. He can actually do something great. Paul's suffering drove him to humility. By grace, God sustained him. And through his weakness, God did more than he could ever do through a prideful, arrogant Paul. I've been talking a lot about Charles Spurgeon lately. And uh, Charles Spurgeon is a famous Baptist uh, pastor, I've said it before, he's kind of a big guy with a beard, so I automatically gravitate towards people like that. Uh, early on in his ministry, when he was in his early 20s, he was preaching in, in, in front of a group of 7,000 people. A group of uh, no-do-gooders uh, yelled fire. And, and back in the day, there, there wasn't like routes and all those things, and so a stampede occurred. And 28 people were injured, seven people died when he was preaching in front of a church and his elders said that this, this greatly affected him. He went into a, a big funk and it was something that kind of stayed with him throughout his, his, his life. He was known to have depression, 
to struggle with depression. He wrote about that. He wrote about the weight of having to preach God's word. And I felt that just the anxiety of handling God's word and communicating it to people, the weight of being a pastor to a large congregation. Uh, He suffered with uh, multiple physical illnesses like gout. He talked about having gout in one leg. And so when he preached, he would stand on the other leg. And somebody said, you know, thank God he doesn't have gout in his tongue uh, because he's preaching God's word. And so he just suffered. He's just a guy who knew the, the newspapers did not like him for some reason. And the media would constantly attack him all throughout his life. And so he was a guy who just knew about suffering. He knew about suffering, but, but here's the crazy part. He wrote over 140 books. He preached multiple sermons a day. He founded a pastor's college. He edited a monthly magazine. He met with countless people. He built an almshouse, an orphanage, and encourages congregation to engage the poor. And so he's just a picture of, of being weak, but allowing God to, to be strong in his life. And this is, this is what he said, and I love this. I love this quote from Spurgeon. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. God speaks into your suffering in such a way that you don't have to fight it, be fully overwhelmed by it, or fully despair over the trouble that enters your lives. Because those things are often the things that drive you close to the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Waves will still come. Waves will come until the day you die. It's inevitable. But I'm getting better at realizing God uses the battering of storms to, to draw me to Christ. I'm learning to kiss the wave. I ain't there yet. I'd be lying if I said when a trial comes, I'm like, yeah, it's just a great opportunity for God to do stuff, man. Rejoice. <laughs> but I'm learning to understand what God is doing as I'm being thrown about. I'm learning to embrace the wave by by saying a few things. I'm learning to embrace the wave by by saying, God, use this, this trial to build my faith in you. Let this experience not be wasted. Help me to cultivate a deeper prayer life, a greater daily dependence on you for everything. Help me to not rely on my own wisdom and strength and help me to learn that lesson so that I don't need pain to move me there. (laughs) Father, sustain me with your grace. With your power, help me to take the next step. Help me to get out of bed. Help me to parent my children. Help me to work hard, serve my church, love lost people. Help me to take the next step that you would have me take. And Father, in my weakness, let your power manifest. Even though I'm weak, may your power be made evident as I seek to to minister, as I seek to love. Let others know that 
that you are still strong even when I'm not. Let's pray.